This is Ben Hill, esteemed ballpark traveler and promotional expert from MILB.com. You're listening to After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast hosted by Brandon Apter. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Brandon Apter. I worked in the industry of minor league baseball for nine years and really enjoyed all of it. So I decided to start a podcast about it, even though I don't work in it anymore. So if you are a first time listener, welcome. If you are a repeat listener, thanks for tuning in again. If you're not already doing so, you can subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, along with a number of other podcast platforms. It is also able to be found on Twitter at AfterHoursPod, Facebook as well. Just typed in AfterHours, a minor league baseball podcast, and you can find it right there. All of the previous episodes are there to be found as well. Not all of them are time sensitive, so if you are a first-time listener, a lot of good topics were covered, so make sure to check those out if you have not done so already. So in this episode, I'm going to be joined by Minor League Baseball's Senior Director of Communications, Jeff Lance, and we are going to talk about the ongoing negotiations between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball on their professional baseball agreement, which the current one ends following the conclusion of the 2020 season. So ahead of the 2021 season, Major League Baseball is proposing a lot of changes to this professional baseball agreement that could end up in 42 minor league teams losing affiliation. So Jeff and I are going to discuss the current state of negotiations, some of the impact that it could have both on Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, and details on what could happen to those 42 teams if this were to pass or if any form of this proposal were to pass. So thanks again for listening, and please enjoy my conversation with Jeff Lance, Minor League Baseball's Senior Director of Communications. Welcome back into After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. Right now, I am very happy to be joined by minor league baseball senior director of communications, Jeff Lance. Jeff, thank you so much for taking some time to come on the show. My pleasure, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so in in this episode, what we're going to get into is a little bit of the nitty gritty when it comes to Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. So a little bit different than what we've done in previous episodes here. Uh, sure. I gave a little uh, segue into it during my introduction. So we're going to be talking about the current negotiations between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball with their professional baseball agreement that ends now at the end of 2020. So ahead of the 2021 season, Major League Baseball is proposing some things that would change the landscape of minor league baseball on a significantly large scale. So yeah, so so the current agreement that ends following the conclusion of the 2020 season, can you talk about some of the main points of what that current agreement entails and where the current negotiations stand between both sides? Sure, sure. Yeah, so the professional baseball agreement basically is the the agreement that binds the contract that binds Major League Baseball uh, and Minor League Baseball, 
And basically, it says that there will be 160 minor league teams across the country, AAA, AA, high A, low A, and then some short season leagues. And then, of course, we have some complex leagues, too, that are all run by the major league teams. But basically, the PBA states that major league baseball teams are going to send players to us to, uh, you know, to make out 160 clubs across the country. And it's renewed every five years. And, you know, over the last 30 years or so, it's just kind of been rolled over as the the same agreement with maybe with a minor change or two but obviously as you've heard the uh major league baseball would like to overhaul that a little bit and uh you know maybe make a few changes to the number of teams and and the geography of some of the leagues so you know that, i guess that's the short version of what the pba is but it, it has everything you know it it entails everything from how many square feet are in the home clubhouse to mm-hmm. uh you know, how many urinals are in the clubhouse to the, the wattage of the lightings behind home plate and in the outfield to playing field dimensions down the line has to be a certain, there's minimums uh, that are required. Right. You know, the slope of the mound, everything is checked out every couple of years by a independent company that goes around and examines all of our facilities. And, uh, you know, then the files report with us and Major League Baseball and those clubs have to go back and, and make the you know, necessary changes to their facilities, but that's, you know, every, every team gets visited every three years, I believe. And so, you know, everybody has a chance to really keep up or maintain if they do fall behind on something, whether it's uh, the size of your clubhouse or, you know, the weight room, not big enough. And, and that's, you know, that's a large part of what this first, I guess, uh, proposal for major league baseball has to do with, you know, when a lot of these ballparks were built, say in the 80s 90s what what have you you know most of our teams as you know had a manager a pitching coach a hitting coach and a trainer yeah and so you're basically having to have lockers in the coach's office for four people and then you know a desk for the manager and the two coaches to work on and have their laptops out but now uh, with the advances in baseball you have a manager a pitching coach a hitting coach a field coach a trainer a strength and conditioning coach Teams are traveling with nutritionists now. They're they're traveling with video analysts for scouting purposes and player development purposes. And a lot of them are traveling with a clubhouse manager now. So you're up to almost nine people with a lot in a lot of these organizations with each affiliate. So instead of having room for four people, now you need room for nine people. Right. And you know it's the the trainer. You know obviously needs a training room with a couple of tables on it and everything that the trainer needs. But now the strength and conditioning coach needs a weight room and space to do his work with all the guys. And, right. you know, you need a, an area for the video coaching and scouting guys to set up their laptops so the players can come and get a look at the pictures that they're facing and what have you. So, if, you know, if you're in the clubhouse in, uh, just throwing one out there, Asheville, North Carolina, you know, that place wasn't really built for a nine person staff. <laughs> Early you know, 1900s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that place was built for a manager and maybe a pitching coach and a hitting yeah. coach, you know? And, and so a lot of it has to do with getting room for all these people to be able to do their jobs. And, and then, you know, you, you've got 25 players and now some teams carry a couple extra guys on the roster as taxi squad players or what have you, or, or disabled list guys are traveling more now. So it's not just the 25 players on the roster now, it may be up to 30 with the DL guys and, so you got to have lockers for all those guys, and it's just that—that's a lot of it. Is you know the clubhouse and, and the weight room and, and training room facilities. You know that's where teams are 
running into some issues. I think, you know, it's a matter of space and a lot of our ballparks, some don't have a lot of space. So mm-hmm. it's hard to get the money necessary to tear down walls and make things bigger. And, you know, a lot of the ballparks are city or county owned and you got to, you know, there's a there's jump a through. Yeah. You got to jump through a lot of hoops in order to get that exactly. stuff done. Yep. Right. You can't just snap your fingers and say, okay, we're, we're going to expand the clubhouse by adding a $800,000 renovation here. That's, that's not easy money to come by in a lot of cases. So, you know, that's kind of the, the gist of a lot of the issues. I guess one of the other problems, you know, as you know, the, the South Atlantic League, for example, has had a lot of uh, expansion and, and new teams come in over the last few years. And, you know, when you've got teams all the way down in Augusta, South Carolina, all the way up to Lakewood, New Jersey, you know, that's quite a footprint for a league to be bus ride. That's a lot of miles yeah. on a bus ride. So, uh, you know, Major League Baseball would like to look at some realignment of some of our class a leagues and as you know we did that before with the midwest league and south atlantic league and recently the carolina league and california league so realignment is certainly an option and something that we're we're open to it's not a foreign concept to us at all and and if it makes things better and it makes uh makes this new proposal you know makes where we're able to save as many of the 160 as we can you know we're all about that doing that Right. So in the uh, Baseball America article that details a lot of the new proposal, uh, it mentioned that the two sides were going to stop negotiations for a little bit in October and restart things in November. So what are what are the current state of negotiations at this point in time? Yeah, basically, uh, October is just a bad month for Major League Baseball with the World Series and playoffs and everything they have going on. And and, you know, everybody's getting ready for the winter meetings, so they decided to get together here in, in November. I think they're getting together in about another week and a half and try and hammer out some of the, you know, what's most important to both sides and and hopefully get to the, the root of the issues and, and see what can be done to, you know, rectify the situation, hopefully get another deal that it is uh, good for both sides. I'm sure they'll probably meet again at the winter meetings as well after they exchange some ideas here in a couple of weeks and that's always a good thing when everybody's willing to go to the table and you know i think both sides are baseball is important you know not just in the 30 major league cities but it's it's important in the 160 markets across minor league baseball as well so you know i think between the the two groups we drew about 110 million fans and yeah nobody wants to see that number go down and nobody wants to see the future growth of baseball go away in 40 or however many markets it's we, everybody wants to do what's good for the game of baseball i think yeah, so when you dive a little bit into this new proposal, two of the main points that we'll start with here are Major League Baseball trying to limit or eliminate ballparks with poor playing conditions while also seizing control of how minor league baseball is organized by both affiliation and geography. You mentioned a little bit of that before. So the goal would be to reduce the number of teams from 160 to 121. So on the surface, what would be some of the advantages and disadvantages to this for both sides? Well, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, say the Yankees and a handful of other teams, they have their four full season affiliates and the Yankees have two short season teams plus two teams in the Gulf Coast League and two more teams in Dominican. So they're they're pushing 10 affiliates there and and then you have teams like the Rays who have, what, six affiliates. So, you know, it might be a matter of balancing out some of the, uh, you know, making it where all the teams have the same number of clubs. You know, that, that's just part of it in my, from how I see it. As far as the ballparks and playing conditions, obviously that's a, that's a concern when, when 
you don't want to ever put a player in, in any kind of danger health-wise, uh, you know, due to a playing field. So I think a lot of our clubs have done a nice job of upgrading the playing fields. It seems like each year we have more and more teams that are putting in new playing surfaces. So, you know, and part of that is concerts and soccer and, you know, some, some of our park, parks hold uh, high school football in the fall. So, you know, those are other ways to make a little money to help put in a new field. So that's it's always good to see our, our teams finding other ways to get the money to make it feel better. It's not just the, the ticket money that comes in and the advertising money that is spent on that stuff. It's always just good business to find other ways to make money, obviously. Yeah, a lot of facilities yeah. have become that kind of place where it's year mm-hmm. year round now. It's not just yeah. baseball. There's a lot more that goes on at the facilities than, than just during the season. Yeah, you see a lot of our AAA parks are hosting soccer teams now, and I'm sure it's a pain for the groundskeepers and cause a little couple, a few sleepless nights for some of the general managers, making sure the, the field gets put back together in time for the next baseball event. But, you know, those are good ways for those clubs to make a little money. I remember when I worked with the Iowa Cubs, it was, hey, everybody, we, you know, we have 72 days to make as much money as we possibly can. Well, now it's 70 baseball games and you have maybe 10 soccer games and four concerts and you know there's teams that are doing craft beer festivals and yeah. all kind of, all kinds of stuff everything under the sun you know it's the ballparks with the capacity that they have make for good venues for a lot of events like that so you know it's it's just another way for everybody to make a little more money and be able to put in a new field and not have it break the bank for a year now now when it comes to the disadvantages there are some obvious ones when it comes to eliminating 42 minor league teams there's impact on the cities there's impact on sure. the fan bases and everything but beyond that obvious one what other sort of disadvantages might there be to this for minor league baseball or major league baseball that m- people might not be thinking about one big one is ballparks going empty you know if that ballpark is say 10 or 15 years old it might not be paid off yet you know and you're talking whether it was tax referendum or a bond referendum or something like that that you know there's going to be a lot of a lot of mayors and and governors and politicians are going to wonder wait a minute our taxpayers bought this you know built this ballpark for you and now you're leaving it's just a it's it's a black eye for baseball i think if you take teams out you know we've seen it in independent leagues and you know, a lot of ballparks have been built and now they're being torn down because there's no tenant. And that's the last thing we want to see happen. And that, cause that's just a bad look for everybody, really, whether it's minor league baseball, major league baseball, nobody, nobody wants to see baseball going away, no matter what market it is. Yeah. So if, if some version of this proposal would pass through, there'd be a ton of shuffling to do at the minor league level. You mentioned earlier, there would be some reclassifications, realignments. So essentially, in this proposal, short season and rookie league would be eliminated. Other teams would lose affiliation. Others would move up or down levels, and league sizes would also change. So this structure has been under minor league baseball's control for the past 100-plus years. So mm-hmm. I guess on, on your end, what do you believe needs to be done in order to keep things as close to where they are now? Yeah, one important thing to remember in all this is that that first proposal we received from Major League Baseball was just that it's a it's a proposal. You know, we like you said the the current agreement goes through next September, so there's plenty of time. You know, we we knew that, so we got the two sides together early. 
We wanted, you know, we've been planning for this PBA negotiation for a little over probably two years now. Pat O'Connor added Dan O'Brien and Bill Smith, a couple of longtime baseball executives to start preparing, you know, for our negotiation side. And they've done a lot of great work to get everybody ready on our side. But, you know, it's it's unfortunate, obviously, that that proposal was leaked to Baseball America because you'd like to have a shot to get a counter proposal in front of Major League Baseball and and not have it be in the public. Nobody wants to negotiate anything in the media, you know, which right. is kind of what happened once Baseball America got their hands on the story. But, you know, I think, like I said, both both sides are wanting to do something that's in the best interest of baseball, whether that's realigning and keeping 160 teams and making it making the travel easier on everybody, because that's one of the big things is the amount of travel. You know, it's nobody gets good rest when you're riding a bus for six hours, right? So yeah, if we can play instead of three-game series in, in a Class A league, we play five-game series, well, that, that cuts down on seven or eight bus trips over the course of the season between cities. That helps because you're sleeping in a bed, not on a bus. And yeah. I'm sure you know you, you spend enough time sleeping on buses to know that it's not good sleep, and it's something that's I mean, it's tough to get yourself to picked back up. Yeah, absolutely. That. You know, you, you're stiff. You're you sleep wrong for a couple hours, and you can't turn your head like Max Scherzer in the playoffs, and it's uh, <laughs> it, it makes it tough on you, and, and it's just not conducive for good player development. So if we need to realign a few leagues and really. You know, we've we've discussed a little bit of interleague play. You know, there's enough uh, even at AAA level where you know there's you can go to Indianapolis to Louisville on a on a bus and have a couple of Pacific Coast League teams come over and you know mix it up that way a little bit so that there's more bus trips and not so many multi time zone trips. You know, the the Pacific Coast League might be the worst travel league in sports with three time zones and flying in the morning and playing that night. That's yeah. That's not good for anybody. So you know, there's. I remember we'd get up in Iowa at 4 a.m. to be at the airport at 5 for a 6 a.m. flight, and then you'd spend three hours in the Denver airport, and then you'd get to Tacoma at 4 o'clock and have to play at 7. You know, yeah. And that, that's not good for anybody. That's just tough on your pitchers and catchers, but it's also tough on your position players. So you know, there's been some talk of trying to cut down on travel that way where you maybe you just don't play every team in your league on a given year and, and you rotate them through uh, something like that. Uh, there's, there's a hundred different ways you could go to realign leagues and schedules, you know, like we talked about with the South Atlantic league, you know, that, that footprint is kind of grown out of control, really, to yeah. be honest, you know, you're, you're driving past another five towns to go from one to another that, you know, you're driving past five other towns that have minor league baseball teams. Well, let's look at it it makes sense to look at it and see if we can if we can do it better let's do it better and you know that's kind of the where we're at right now is trying to find some solutions to present back to major league baseball that would work for our side and hopefully uh they'll see it it's something that'll work for their side as well you mentioned a little bit earlier that one of the primary goals for major league baseball is to upgrade or attempt to upgrade the facilities that are considered inadequate as they are now while also Mm -hmm being able to increase the pay and working conditions of the players, which includes everything from transportation to the hotels. So it could help compensate players better in the first draft of this proposal, but it could also put thousands of players out of jobs with something like you mentioned, like the Yankees having so many more affiliates than a team like the Rays. So talk about the impact and decision-making that would put on organizations having to cut off so many players. Yeah, I mean that's like you said. You're you're talking 
over a thousand players would lose their jobs. Everybody wants the players to be paid more. I think Major League Baseball probably understands that there needs to be something done. I guess uh, Toronto Blue Jays, I'm sure you know, gave all their players a 50% raise prior to last year. You know, and that that's going to make the Toronto Blue Jays a a more desirable stop for AAA free agents. That's for sure. I hate to see that many players lose jobs and opportunities to get a small raise for the guys that are under contract already. I mean, that's you know kind of limiting opportunities. You find, you think of guys like Jose Altuve, who I think spent maybe three years in short season ball and he turned out pretty good. You hate to take away opportunities by removing the short season leagues just to give what it would cost um, maybe three or $5 million or something like that to give minor leaguers a raise. $3 million these days in the major leagues is barely a seventh yeah. inning pitcher, right? Jump, um, jump change, more or less. <laughs> your words, not mine, but, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of the way the game's become. We, we just hate to see that many players lose jobs, and and obviously the the result of that would be we would be losing teams, obviously. So we certainly want to avoid that at all costs. Whether they want to institute a limit on how many players you can have under contract, that's up to Major League Baseball, you know, that's player uh, salaries and contracts are really their baby. That's an employer-employee issue. But as long as we have 160 teams, you know, that's that's our bottom line, I guess. That's what we're trying to save. So Yeah. So when you talk about the jobs of the players, there's also mm-hmm. the jobs of the minor league front offices, the general managers, mm-hmm. the marketing people, the ticket sales people. Is there any insight that you could give with regard to what would potentially happen to the front offices of those 42 teams that could get eliminated? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, we're trying to save them. We don't want them to get too worried at this point just because we're so very early in the negotiation process. But, you know, we, we looked at it and it's it's over 400 full-time front office people that work for those 42 teams and you never want people to lose jobs obviously and you know only a handful of those teams really are major league owned so those people could potentially be reassigned within their organization i suppose but you know the 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 people in hudson valley up in new york you know that what what are they going to do they you know you take the team away uh, you know obviously part of the proposal from major league baseball was a to start a, a dream league, kind of an independent type setup, but you know that's that's a model that you know it might work in places like St. Paul and suburbs of Houston, those major cities. But you know how many other markets has independent ball survived in that are much smaller than those kind of markets? It it's a model that hasn't really worked well, and obviously we want to try and keep these as affiliated clubs so that we don't have to worry about people losing jobs. Yeah. And, and, things like that but you know the whole dream league model or independent type model just you know we, we don't see how that can possibly work in markets this size and obviously if it did come to that i suppose those people would keep their jobs and be able to work for those teams but we want to do everything we can obviously like i said a hundred times probably to keep them employed by their current teams and, and yeah do what we can. and i'd imagine for Stop. for career development on their side even looking on a resume i think having that affiliated club is yeah. good absolutely absolutely it's always nice when you can put a, a logo of a an affiliated club on your on your resume and people will know who you're who, you're, who that club is you know yeah so, so, or if they don't know who the club is they probably know who the affiliate is for sure yep absolutely so under the current 
agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Teams negotiate player development contracts every two years, but looking at this uh, proposal and the explanations for it, Major League Baseball doesn't seem to be a huge fan of that. It has put some executives in a position to have to go and buy minor league affiliates to avoid ending up having to put their players in stadiums that don't live up to those standards that they have. And and Major League Baseball believes that there are about 25% of the current stadiums that don't live up to those standards. So I know you mentioned a little bit before that there are independent contractors and stuff that go out to ballparks and make sure everything's living up to the the standards that they are. But what what else is being done to for these ballparks to be able to get upgraded so something like this might not happen? Yeah, you know, and, and that's part of the the hard part is when you when stories like this leak and get out there, you know, if you're the just for a random example, say you're the the city of Johnson City, Tennessee, or actually Elizabethan is a good example. The Twins and the city got together and put some money into the ballpark in Elizabethan. I you know I think the the city kicked in maybe a half a million dollars and to upgrade the clubhouse and build a new clubhouse there. And they're doing, they're building a clubhouse for the Minnesota twins there instead of buying a fire truck for the city of Elizabethan. Right. And it's, it's just putting a lot of teams in a tough spot and it, what team or what city now, if, if you're rumored to be on the chopping block, say, say Elizabethan needs a new playing field and they, they have to go to the city and say, Hey, you know, we need, $200,000 $200,000 for a new field. Well, we just read an article that you guys are going away after next year. So why would we give you $200,000? So it's, it's really kind of crippling the efforts of a lot of teams to make some of these renovations that they've known for a while need to be made. And, and you know, and like we talked about earlier, every couple of years, the evaluators go around. It's, it's not a secret what needs to be fixed in each town or uh, in each ballpark. It's just a matter of getting it done. Now, like I said, this proposal getting out doesn't help anybody really, which is another reason why it's so unfortunate that it got out. But yeah, um, you know, as far as the PDCs, you know, every two years, a lot of Class A teams will do two-year deals. On the higher levels, they'll do four years. But yeah, like you said, you know, the Astros bought team and put them into uh, Fayetteville. The Rangers bought. Kinston or down east, I guess it's called. Uh, the Braves uh, own most of their affiliates. Right, the Braves own most of theirs, exactly. And a lot of times those teams will do that because they want to be in a certain league. I think the Astros and Rangers both wanted to be members of the Carolina League and not be shuttled back every two years and have the chance of being stuck in the California League where it's maybe not as conducive for you know moving players around if all their other affiliates are in the Midwest. It just it's it makes it easier to shuttle players back and forth to teams and whether it's altitude or whatever the case may be, there's some teams that don't want to put teams in the Carolina or California league because the altitude or whatever it may be. Yeah. It gets, you know, every couple of years, if for example, you know, the Cubs, you know, if the Cubs don't like it in South Bend, they'll go somewhere else. And every two years, you don't want to be moving your teams around every two years. Right. You'd rather have them comfortable somewhere where they want to stay there. I mean, look at the, the Padres have been in, Fort Wayne, Indiana for 20 something years, I think now. And there, I can't imagine there's a ton of Padres fans in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but they love the Tin Cats there. And the Padres love having their players in a ballpark where there's 6,000 fans every night or 5,000 fans every night or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. And it's a, you know, a quality facility with 
good amenities and you know there's something to be said for having your players play in front of 5,000 fans every night they learn what it's like to play with a crowd behind you and cheering for you and going against your opponent all that so you know there's there's a lot to be said for finding that affiliate and having a good relationship with them and and forging a long-term relationship there so when it comes to to the player development contracts eliminating the two-year ones and creating longer lasting franchise agreements would benefit major league baseball and that there would be more certainty but it would take away some of the negotiating leverage from minor league teams so talk about how losing that leverage would hurt the minor league side of things well there's part of the agreement is you're not allowed to seek out a new affiliate before your deal is done they have some tampering rules that are in place so if if you're for example, you're Frederick and, and you want to be a, a Nationals affiliate, you know, you can't call the, the Nationals and say, hey, we want to have your team in Frederick. You have to wait until their deal's over and they say, hey, we don't want to be in Potomac anymore. Right. You know, it has to be a both sides have to file or go through a process where they file for a new affiliation and things like that. But if you make that for your deal and maybe you maybe we need to look at changing some of the rules where if the uh, Baltimore Orioles want to have an outdoor batting cage in Frederick, but the team can't afford to build, you know, a structure with a roof over it. Maybe the Baltimore Orioles are allowed to pay for that if they want it that bad, you know, as part of a longer affiliation agreement, that's something that I don't believe can happen right now, but maybe if we go to a longer PDC term, you know, a term of years, Maybe that's something that would be allowed moving forward. I, you know, it's hard to say. It's something that I'm sure both sides will be discussing during negotiations. But you know, there's a handful of things that you can do to to make that process a little bit better and and get teams in markets where they want to be and, and facilities they want to be. So at this point, Major League Baseball has valued each level of minor leagues. AAA teams are valued at twenty million, while teams in low Class A are valued at eight million. So, mm-hmm. what this means is that if there's a low Class A team that is forced to move up to AAA, they'd have to pay twelve million dollars. If a AAA club moved to low A, they would be given twelve million dollars. So, while these valuations could be accurate for some organizations, a lot of these numbers aren't accurate to the market value of the teams. So. I'd imagine this is a pretty large sticking point with regard to the current state of negotiations. Yeah, and again, that was part of the very first proposal that you know is a long way from being finalized uh, through negotiations. But AAA teams being valued at twenty million dollars. I mean, if you try to sell Lehigh Valley for twenty Lehigh Valley, I mean. That might be half of what it's actually worth, right? On, on the market, low class A team being valued at eight million. I mean, if you look at Dayton, where they draw six thousand fans a night, uh, I got to believe that team is worth a little more, more little dollars. more than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and and how do you? I'm not sure how they expect if we want to put, say, we want to put Dayton in in AAA because they draw so well and it's a nice facility, whatever the case may be. Who's, who's paying the $12 million? Yeah. Because ownership, the ownership of the team's probably not going to have $12 million lying around to upgrade. But if you want the best facilities for your for your top-level players, I mean, that's... I guess GoFundMe yeah. is always an option. <laughs> well, you never know, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but, man, that's, uh, that's a pretty big 
check for somebody to write. And if it's double A, you know, I can't remember what the number was for double A. It's probably 12 or 14 or something like that. But you got some ballparks like Birmingham and Montgomery and some of these places where Frisco, Amarillo, I mean, those, those operations are worth well over $12 million. So it's, it's hard to, uh, yeah. When I I was, when I was reading that part of it, I was just like, this seems not right. Yeah. I just, I I read that and I'm with you. I'm just like, wait a second. How can you just assign a dollar amount to some of these teams? You know, if you want to, if you want to sell a short season team in the Northwest league, Hillsborough is probably worth a lot more than $2 million or whatever the uh, yeah, I'd imagine part of the side of negotiations with that would be making it a little more specific, not just AAA teams, but hopefully more, if if some part of this were to pass, more based on the market and, and really how they draw would make a yeah, whole lot yeah. more sense. Yeah, and when you look at you know some of those short-season teams that aren't major league-owned, those are family-owned and family-run. It's That's the nest egg for some of these people to retire on when when they do decide to get out of baseball. That you know, whatever they sell the team for, that's that's their retirement. That's what they've been working their whole life to retire with. So it'd be very unfortunate for some of those teams to be assigned a dollar value that isn't remotely close to what they could get on the open market with a with a player development contract. Yeah, certainly doesn't seem very fair. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> Moving on to another part of the proposal that would involve moving the draft back to August and reducing the rounds from 40 to 20 to 25, which would go along the lines of what Major League Baseball wants to do in terms of limiting the amount of players that are in each organization. So the players that go undrafted would have an opportunity to become part of a proposed Dream League, which we talked about a little bit earlier, it would essentially be a joint venture between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball that operates as an independent circuit where players that go undrafted would be there. So you spoke a little bit to it, like a market in Hudson Valley per se. Would they be a market that would draw for Dream League? Because you just don't know at that point. So do you believe that if this, something like this passes, is this a viable option? We don't think so, just because I think the the independent, you know, like we said earlier, it, it might work in, in Sugarland and, and St. Paul. And obviously they have great ballparks in those markets and those teams seem to do quite well. But then you look at places like Nashua and some of the others that haven't made it. Those are those communities spend a lot of money on those ballparks, and if they can't make it in cities that size, how would you think it's going to work? You know, even even Kansas City, the T-Bones team there, I read, was evicted from their ballpark because they haven't paid bills in years. And Kansas City is a major league sized market, so when it comes to, I, I just don't see, you know, if you want to keep ticket prices down, particularly for an independent league how are you going to pay all the bills for team travel and, and insurance for the players? I mean, you got to have workers comp, all that kind of stuff with the, the cost of doing that, I think would just be crippling. Now the, the part about the draft, if you move the draft back, well, if these guys are their high school seasons are over in, you know, in a lot of places, May, and I guess the college seasons in, in June, you know, what are those guys supposed to do for the next three months until, the draft in August, you know, now you're going to have guys 
overworking themselves and and i'm just envisioning pitchers that are going to as many combine type camps as they can to try to break radar guns to get drafted in august well they've had the entire spring season to show these scouts what they can do do you really want them to go play in you have to wonder if you'd see an uptick then in collegiate summer league ball players absolutely you would and are you better off having those guys play in those leagues or do you want them in your system being instructed by your instructors and coaches and, and you know, evaluators, you know, that's, that's for major league baseball to decide, but as, as a fan, you know, it seems to make sense to me to leave the draft where it is. But again, that's, that's a major league baseball decision. And obviously if they do move it back to August, that would really hurt the chances of short season baseball staying as it is. Yeah, and I would imagine that it would probably affect how players progress, whether or not they're coming out of high school or college. You know, that number, the round two or round three guy coming out of college in his second or third year that might play GCL ball or something like that for a couple of games and then move straight to to short season. Like, that's not necessarily an option. So it'll be interesting to see if something like this were to happen, how the player progression side of it would be affected. Yeah. I mean, take a look at uh, Adley Rushman from the Orioles this year. You know, he played in an elite college program at Oregon State, played probably, what, 60 games there, went to, I think they went through the regionals and maybe even got to Omaha. Uh, so he probably played close to 70 games or whatever. Took a couple of weeks off, signed his deal, went to the Gulf Coast League for a few weeks, then he went to Aberdeen for a couple of weeks. Now he's probably going to start next year in low A as opposed to having to sit around and do extended spring training. And, you know, you just kind of keep It'd the guys... It all be pushed on, back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of keep the guys on a, on a better calendar for development, I would think. But, again, the draft is Major League Baseball's baby, and, you know, we don't have much say in that, I suppose. But, again, that makes it really hard for short season ball to exist. But hopefully they'll decide to keep the the draft in june and we can keep operating as is so going full circle with all of this if this proposal or any form of it passes through it would be the biggest restructuring since the 1960s so Mm -hmm. with the current agreement ending at the conclusion of the 2020 season when can people expect to learn more about the progression of negotiations i know you've mentioned a few times throughout this episode that it wasn't supposed to get leaked out to the media. So not sure if all goes according to plan and stuff is not leaked to media. How would, how would you imagine we learn more information in the coming months? Yeah, I mean, obviously best case scenario, you know, that first proposal would have come to us and we could say, wait a second, guys, we don't, you're talking about a major overhaul here. We think we can do some realignment, some restructuring to accomplish some of the same goals that you have and we could have sent that back and go back and forth <laughs> under the radar. Obviously, we have another, was it, 10 months now to, before this current deal's over. So we had plenty of time to get this done, but obviously it leaked out because of the nature of teams being cut. It was somebody felt it was worth giving to Baseball America. And and here uh, we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I can't fault Baseball America for covering it. You know, that's... That's what news outlets do. So, um, but you know, like I said, they're going to meet the two sides will get together here in a couple of weeks and then hopefully again at the winter meetings and hopefully there'll be some progress made there. You know, I, I imagine they'll just keep going back and forth and 
the beauty of it is we have another 10 or 11 months or whatever it is to to keep going back and forth and, and see what's important, most important to each side and get this thing fixed. So now quickly before I let you go, I got a couple of questions from my followers on Twitter. Sure. We, we touched on this briefly. This one's from at count Two baseball. If 42 affiliated teams would be moved to a proposed dream league, why would a pair of them be replaced by current independent league teams? It seems oddly specific for a plan that is ostensibly in its formative stages. Yeah, I think a lot of that, you know, as far as adding those two uh, independent teams, I think it had a lot to do with geography and teams wanting to be close to their AAA affiliate. So they were probably hoping that, you know, instead of the twins being in Rochester, New York, they could have their affiliate right there in St. Paul. And, you know, obviously Round Rock's not terribly far away from Houston, but if you can have that team in Sugarland instead, that's easier on everybody. But there's certain aspects of the independent business that those teams might not want to leave independent ball. They're doing well as it is. Uh, they might not want to join Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, but I think it had mo- more to do with geographic considerations for those two teams being basically in the backyard of major league teams similar to Gwinnett and Atlanta. Yeah, I was just going to mention that because while it makes more geographical sense, I feel like then you're putting the minor league team in a position to then compete during the summers with your major league team. You're going to have nights if you're 20, 30 minutes away or 30, Mm -hmm. 40 miles away. I think when a lot of people are given the option to go to see a big league game, uh, in comparison to a minor league game, more mm-hmm. more often than not, they're going to pick the the big league game. I guess it depends on on several factors, including funding. If you know, I personally, I live about forty minutes away from Tropicana Field, and I live about ten minutes away from the uh, Spectrum Field where the Clearwater Threshers play, or in ten minutes away from the Dunedin Blue Jays. So there's a lot of nights where I have options where I can go to the major league game or I can go to a minor league game. And quite frankly, with having a, a two and a half year old son, it's it's a lot easier and more financially feasible for me to go to the minor league game. So right. you'll have a certain group of fans that will take the opportunity to go to more minor league games than they will the major league games, but you also have people that want to go see major league baseball games, whether it's the home team or Yeah, I think it depends know, on the market. I think, sure, yeah, because sure. one one area might be a bigger baseball area than the other. Mm-hmm. I know when I worked in Gwinnett, I don't think Braves baseball was necessarily at the forefront of Atlanta sports, but now with the way that they've developed some of their prospects, it's getting back to that way. Yeah, when you see teams that have good young players and you're, you're reading about Ronald Acuna when he's in Rome, and all of a sudden now he's here in Gwinnett, you're going to go check that guy out. Yeah. I think there's, there's some value there, but I think it's, uh, I know they had problems in Gwinnett with people showing up with Gwinnett tickets for the games at what was Turner Field and SunTrust Park or whatever, and, and that confusion is probably fairly annoying for... Yeah, I remember when fans. I was there, we would go deliver pocket schedules to businesses more or less down the road, and yeah. they'd be like, oh, you're not the real Braves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I think it was positive that they ended up getting their own identity in that area. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And but like you said, it's people's perception that oh, that you're not the majors, you're not you're not professionals. Yep. You know, that's and that's not the case at all. So, but I think that was kind of where those two independent teams came in as right. you know, it'd be a good 
fit geographically. geographically. Yep. All right. The next one comes from at Philly Ball Paul. The current proposal changes the Pacific Coast International League from 16-14 to a 10-20 split. So with AAA sharing an all-star game and a championship, is there any concern that the PCL teams will have an easier route to and likely more accolades and championships to make their big league club's farm system appear better? That would be the strength of a farm system is kind of in the eye of the beholder, I guess, whether it's if you're taking scouts' words for it or Baseball America's evaluators or MLB.com's evaluators. You know, it's kind of who you believe more as far as you know, as farm system appear better. But as far as the 10-20 the split, you know, I think a lot of that comes into what we talked about earlier with if you put 10 teams in the PCL and you have, say, it's Tacoma, Sacramento, Fresno, Vegas, Albuquerque, you just kind of keep everybody on the West Coast, you know, in the Pacific and Mountain time zones, and you keep Iowa, Omaha, Wichita, Oklahoma City, Round Rock, San Antonio, and you, you keep those teams. Ideally, if you keep teams in their time zone and one other one, that's that's very manageable. I think if you put you take the 14 teams in the IL, you can easily put six other teams like, like those ones I just named, and you make a Western division of the International League where those teams don't always play each other every year, but you know you could do some interleague play or interconference play, whatever you want to call it. I think the the ten twenty proposal is just keeping teams within one time zone of, of each other and, right. and making the travel easier for everybody. When it does come to the AAA championship and All Star games, it's, it would make it a little tougher, I suppose, to make the International League All Star teams. There's twenty players or twenty teams for them to pick from, but. To me, the solution on that would be you do American League against National League affiliates, and it doesn't matter what league you're from, really. Yeah. The next one comes from at John Vetus three about the Dream League. He he asks how big it was going to be. At this point, I assume we were not really sure about that. But mm-hmm. how common do you think it will be for affiliated teams to then add and release players from it? One of the the proposals that they sent, I think, had a Dream League perhaps kind of taking the uh, place of like the New York Penn League where you've got good number of ballparks and good number of markets and places that have some baseball history, but then making like the Appalachian League more of a college wood bat league, similar to the Cape Cod League where there's not nearly as much travel. It's much easier on the guys to uh, college players to show up for a month and a half or two months and, and play college summer league season as far as the players being added and released i think there was in the proposal there was something about if a major league team wanted to sign a player from the dream league it would be a five thousand dollar charge or whatever the dollar amount you know and that money would go to the team that that was that had that player just like the independent leagues now right you just pay a fee for that player but you know the other thing to think about on that is when when you're working in gwinnett you're you're working on your job for the team. You're not wor- worrying about signing players or selecting players to be on your roster, or forming a roster. So, who's going to make up the roster for these teams? Yeah. You know, who's gonna decide who's playing? Because if you got to hire your own <laughs> scouts and stuff like that, that's added cost as well. That's more. Yeah, I would imagine the simplest way that. to populate the teams would be to have like a dream league draft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but again, who's, you know. <laughs> You can have your PR guy do the drafting for your team. It's 
It would definitely be good experience for the PR guy if they're just coming out of college, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it ends up being more like fantasy baseball than, <laughs> than real baseball, to be honest. Yeah. The final question I have is actually not f- about the proposal. It comes mm-hmm. from at J.W. Samuel. With regard to the current pace of play rules, he believes that it's not necessarily drawing new young fans to the game and is turning off longtime fans from coming. So I know from my personal experience in Gwinnett and Port Charlotte, like Gwinnett was one of the first AAA teams to do it. Port Charlotte was one of the first Florida State League teams to do it. And a lot of people, especially in Port Charlotte, because you have a lot like an older demographic there. So you had a lot more baseball purists that were worried about the game getting ruined by these pace of play rules. But I think after a short time, even four or five games, you you really don't even notice it. So do you have any insight as to how the pace of play has been going. I think, at least for me now, that I'm not in baseball anymore, going to a minor league game and it being two hours and 15 minutes instead of three hours and Mm -hmm. 10 minutes is beneficial. Yeah, yeah. Just speaking from personal experience on this, we have the 15-second pitch clock here in the Florida State League, and I I go to quite a few Florida State League games. And you know, Like I said, I take my two-and-a-half-year-old son a lot of the time, and those games are usually over in... It seems like two hours and 20 or 2.30. It's only uh, some of those games start at 6.30 here, so it's not even 9 o'clock when those games are over. And you look around, and there's a lot of elementary-age kids that are still chasing the foul balls and, and running down to get the first base and throwing the ball at the end of every inning. And they, they don't seem to care about pace of play. And, and quite honestly, I, don't, I never even noticed the pitch clock anymore. I looked at it the first – month or two just to make sure the clock operators were and if you go on a camp day the kids will count it down of course oh yeah no i've it's to me one one thing that i've had in my position here minor league baseball is when we announced the pace of play rules and in the extra range rules i get a lot of phone calls right people complaining sounding off about it basically the first year that we put all these in you got a ton of phone calls People would call in July saying, hey, I went to my first game the other night. What in the hell is this clock in center field? You know, what? what's what's the hurry here? What are we doing? And at the end of the year, you you tell them, hey, it, it shaved 13 minutes off the average time of game. That's pretty significant when if you have a, a kid that needs to get home on a school night and you can, you can watch seven innings instead of just six or five, you get to watch more baseball. It keeps the game moving. I don't think you have... It's not like the pitchers are running around trying to get the ball back from the outfielder and and sprinting up to the mound to make sure that they're getting that next pitch delivered in time. It's not like that at all. I I had not had a single call all this year on the extra innings rule or the the pitch clocks. And that tells me that it's basically become accepted and it's not that big of a deal to people anymore. Now, baseball purists that you're never going to change their mind and, we understand that that's people are setting their ways. There's it's just like people that are upset that they're building a major league stadium at the field of dreams. You know, the people that want, want to keep field of dreams the way it is. I get it. It's very similar but, to when teams rebrand. There's always absolutely. You know, that yeah, absolutely right. shock and awe of just, Oh yep. wow, this sucks. And then after yep. a few months, everything pretty much gets back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if I'm at a Midwest league game on Tuesday night and there's, there's no pitch clock, 
I don't know any difference between the pace of game there and if I'm at a Florida State game the next night. I, I don't. Yeah. It's not something I pay attention to. <laughs> and I, I do. I do think that I'm, it would be beneficial at Major League Baseball ballparks. I mean, here in Atlanta, at least, because of how traffic is, the games start at seven thirty. So yeah. with the way that things are now, those games. Like it, you're stretching in the seventh inning, and it's the ten o'clock hour, yeah, on, on a I week mean, night, which is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, my my son goes to bed at eight thirty every night. If I keep him out till nine, some nights I can get away with it and stay till the end of the game in Florida State. League. But if I were doing that in in Gwinnett, it's it's probably only the fourth inning at nine o'clock, and I can't keep my kid at that game. Yeah, you know, or even take him to begin with. So I think the pace of play rules have been good as far as keeping kids at the game they can stay longer they can i I see all i see is kids running around at games trying to get the baseballs right and chasing the mascots around they they don't care that the guy has 15 or 20 seconds to throw the next pitch so to me it's been a plus and and with all the added offense the games are getting back to closer to three hours anyways so it's uh (laughs) gotta try something else gotta (laughs) try something else in the next couple years see what we can do yeah but yep. Jeff, I, I do appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday to chat about this ahead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. So I'm sure you're excited for that. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but no, appreciate it. And pleasure. hopefully I'll talk to you a little bit down the line once the negotiations get a little further. You bet. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast. Really appreciate Jeff coming on learned a lot from this episode i I mean me personally i didn't know that this was a story that was leaked to baseball america i just assumed that it was a story that was a story that that people knew about it so that was interesting to find out and all of the little different things along the way to learn about was was really cool too whether it be with trying to reduce the travel the thoughts of a dream league or just the thought of 42 affiliated teams potentially losing that affiliation and the players and front office executives that could potentially lose jobs because of that. So a lot to unpack from this episode and a lot to learn and a lot more negotiations to go through for Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. So as I know more, I will make sure to try and record some episodes on this topic The winter meetings take place in early December, so I would imagine late December or early January would be the next time that I'd be able to have a guest on to to update on negotiations. But yeah, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Again, if you're not already subscribed, please do on Apple Podcasts. Hit the five-star review and write a review if you like what you heard. The show is also available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor.fm, along with numerous other podcast platforms. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time on another episode of After Hours, a minor league baseball podcast.